this afternoon, rather. Together with the saints, it's nothing like it to get with God's people to celebrate um, the living God. Just a few things preliminarily before we uh, dive in. Uh, we want to we wanna keep Camp Hope lifted up. Uh, this year, we're going to have probably, uh, through Pastor Curse leadership, about 60 or 70 uh, uh, kids from the neighborhood. And so we want to keep that lifted up. And um, I'm excited about what God is up to, uh, to be able to engage our neighborhood with the truth of Jesus Christ and to give them a, a, a safe place this summer uh, to be able uh, to enjoy themselves. Amen, somebody. And providing it in an extremely, extremely affordable Extremely affordable format. Also want to keep, want, want us to keep lifted up Epiphany Camden. Epiphany Camden, our daughter church, our church we planted under the leadership of Pastor Doug Logan. Uh, this, to, today, the church is voting on the small group of people that are there. I think it's about four left. And they're voting today on uh, how much to sell the facility to Epiphany Camden for. And they have, uh, Epiphany Camden has some level of considerable work to put in on the building. So as they are looking to move forward in that, would you keep them lifted up as they are going to possibly be moving into their first facility before they're two years old? Somebody ought to give God a hand praise right there. Oh, you could do better than that. Yeah, I think, I think God bless. I think we were about one year, one and a half year old. I don't know, or was it two? Something like that where God did the same. So God is able and we're thankful for his provision uh, on all of those levels. So if, if, without any further ado, let's stand to our feet. Turn to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. Go to Matthew and just go backwards. I know some of y'all looking at me like, Amos, I ain't even in the Bible, Pastor. You got some apocryphal lost books of the Bible type stuff going on? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's one of the minor prophets. When you get there, say amen. Yeah, we, we, we're going to be Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. I'll start reading. You continue. Let's get it. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, who would... Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. I, I want to talk about in this <clears throat> installment of our worship series, justice as worship, justice as worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and honor you for the opportunity to come together and continue and to celebrate so many wonderful things that you're up to in the lives of your people. So, God, as we talk about continuing to move out of our comfort zone, being a believer is not the, a lifestyle of creating more comfort for ourselves, Lord God, but uh but, but, but creating more and more discomfort to the kingdoms that are against your kingdom. 
And God, we do that through both life and lips. And so, God, as we dive into this message, help us not to check out, but check in and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength, our redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus mighty name. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, we are continuing on our worship series in identity, a lifestyle, and an expression, and reflecting the fact that believers are worshipers. How many of you know you don't just worship, but you are a worshiper? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, worship is not just an expression, but it is an identity and a lifestyle. Somebody say identity, identity. lifestyle, and expression. Jesus said, those who worship me shall worship me. The true worshiper, these are the type of people God seeks, worshipers, noun, with adjectival force. The true worshipers of God shall worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we're looking at the multifaceted nature of what worship actually is versus just talking about how to make the music better. Even though we'll talk about some of that stuff and how to, to, to make the songs more attractive for people and more in the comfort zone of people. Um, but if anybody knows anything about worship, it's really not about being in your comfort zone. It's really being taken out of your zone into God's zone. And, 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 and so, so, so today, as we, as we talk about justice as worship, don't, don't check out on me, because I, 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 I know where some of y'all think I'm going, but I'm not going where you think I'm going. Uh, yesterday, I got a chance yesterday evening to spend some time uh, with a former drug lord. Spent the evening with him and, and just sat, sat down, and we had a group of us. Just chopped it up with him. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal opportunity to talk to a man who had been, who had just got out of jail and, and just got transformed by the renewing power um, of the gospel. And, 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 and him, amen, amen, amen. He's been saved less than a year, and he's already talking about how uh, he used to run capers and shoot people up, kill cats, got shot at, and now God has um, uh, changed his life from the inside out. Uh, um, um, and, and he began talking about how he wants his circles of influence that he had, that he used uh, for drug trafficking, that he used uh, to put hits out on cats and beat balls up, all these different types of things that he was into. He says, I want to go into those streams with the gospel of peace. Um, I mean, he has a Sunni beard. He has a bald head. Uh, he, he's, he's about five foot five, stocky. Uh, if he came in here, some of y'all would be moving over on the roll because he, you know, he got a white V-neck tee on, tatted up sleeved arms, baggy jeans, and he had on some butter Timberlands. Now, ladies, chill out, all right? Um, some of y'all are like, where he at, Pastor? Where he at? Oh, my God, that's a change thug. Oh, my God. No. Folk fanning and carrying on. But anyway, it, it was just interesting to talk about his life and for him to begin to talk about I me. Mean, he's talking gospel-centered language and submitting to discipleship. Just, just a phenomenal thing. And, 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 and as we were talking, it, it just reminded me of, of why we are here. It, it reminds me of the fact that <coughs> we're here to bring all of the comprehensive facets of what it means to reflect the life that Christ came to give us. Amen, somebody. Uh, um, but, but we got to ask the question, are we willing to make the necessary sacrifices to see the fruit that God wants to bring? Because the Bible says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest that he may send more laborers. And so, and so we come into a city like this where uh, this past week, 3,700 essential 
workers in the Philadelphia school system have been removed. Uh, teachers, uh, uh, hall monitors, playground monitors have been released of their work. Counselors, which there are very few of them, and we need them just as much as we need teachers, are gone. And so we see a city that, that is 90% uh, 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 single-parent homes, uh, 85 to 95% church, unchurched in a reason, over 5.5 uh, 5 .5 million unsaved people in the Delaware Valley. Um, not only that, we see that uh, Nightline did uh, 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 a, a, a deal on uh, Strawberry Mansion High School. How many of you all saw that? Uh, did you really need to go on and look at that? And uh, Strawberry Mansion High School, which is 1.4 miles away from here, uh, um, 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 is the most violent, was named one of the most violent schools in America. As a matter of fact, some of the children sent the principal notes and told them to be careful because they're going to take her life. And so dealing with that reality, and, and, and the question is, and the, the, that I hear people keep asking me is, Pastor, what is the church going to do? Now, I know theologically that many of us just like sound doctrine. In, in, other, in other words, we believe sound doctrine is we teach the doctrines of grace and, and the upper echelons of great reformed theology, but don't find ourselves functionally and practically living in light of those things. Uh, we, we, we like to have our amens, we like to have our hallelujahs, we like to have our runs, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but what begins to happen is, is we forget about the full-bodied nature of the gospel. And the full-bodied nature of the gospel lets us know that sound doctrine is not just a doctrinal statement on a website. Sound doctrine is not just a statement that we put out there when people ask questions about our church. The, the sound doctrine is extremely important, and if you've been here for a while, you know that we believe in sound doctrine. But biblically, sound doctrine, is, is, it, it means literally in the Greek, healthy. That which makes people and situations healthy. And so we come to a passage where the people of God have, have been in a phenomenal place, and we come to the prophet Amos. Prophet Amos is prophesying during a time period where the people of God got comfortable. They got everything they ever wanted, they, they ever dreamed of. I mean, they, 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 they live in the high life. They got their 40 acres and a mule and then some. And they're enjoying themselves. But, but God begins to challenge them and, 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 and dive into the fact that he wants them to live their lives in a way that, more, that reflects the reason why he put them in the world, and he put them in the world to be a worshiping community that identified with him and, 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 and lived their lives based on both word and deed where they live and dwell where they are. And so Amos being a prophet, you know, you know, I like the Bible prophets because most of them never wanted to be prophets. We got too many prophets that they didn't want to be prophets. I wish I had some help right there. Over in chapter 7, Amos said, I was minding my business. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I was a shepherd of God, and I used to sell crop items, meaning he liked the dudes that y'all see. Some of y'all ain't lived around the way. We used to have dudes come through on them, on them pickup trucks. It looked like the back is about to come off of it. And he's selling meat out of the trunk or the back of the thing and watermelons. He said, meat man, meat man, bacon, bacon, half, half smoke. Y'all know nothing about that. That's back in the day. And they said, see, that's what, that's what Amos was. A Amos was one of them, one, one of them cats, a grimy dude, off the block, ain't come from no priestly hemp, uh, 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 lineage, but he loved the Lord. And God called him and interrupted his life. So see, see, a real prophet gets their life interrupted. 
Uh, they, they don't. They, they, and, and, and when because when they because when they come and they call, they come because God is telling them to say something, not that they have something to say themselves. <laughs> and, and so he begins preaching prophetically to the people of God and preaching to them about the inconsistencies between their worship gatherings and their practice of worship in their everyday life. He begins challenging them, which brings me to my first point. I got two points for you, and I'm out your way. <clears throat> Number one, if, if we're going to see justice as worship, we must recognize that God challenges delusional believers. <laughs> God challenges delusional believers. Look at verse 18. It says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. It, 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 it says, why would you have the day of the Lord? This is interesting. <laughs> because the day of the Lord was actually, there, there were smaller days of the Lord and then there were larger days of the Lord. The smaller days of the Lord were trailers to the bigger day of the Lord. The bigger day of the Lord that would ultimately happen is the future eschatological reality of God revealing himself through the Messiah and separating the wheat from the tares, those who are his and those who are not, bringing in those who are his and eternally judging those who are not his. Before that ultimate day of the Lord, there were miniature days of the Lord that acted as a trailer on the website of the Old Testament. And these trailers were little mini trailers. Like when, you, when a movie comes out, they have all different types of trailers so that you can see the movie that's actually coming from different perspectives. That's what you see here in the passage, and you see with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord was always the hovering wrath and reward of God outside of time, in eternity, always looking for God when God says it's time to judge and reward, would pierce into time and deal with particular contemporary situations because of the inequities that is happening between the people of God and society. Are you tracking with me? And so he would, give, he would get mercy to the righteous or the remnant, and then he would give a wrath and temporal challenge to those who are not in him. But God is interesting here. God is telling people that are supposed to be in him, don't look forward to the day of the Lord. He said, because you're looking for, see, see, you want the sweet by and by for the wrong reasons. <laughs> he, said, he said, because if you knew how I was coming with mine, you wouldn't be wanting the day of the Lord, like, because me and you aren't in right standing. See, those who look forward to the day of the Lord are in right standing with me. And he said, those who, who, he said, he said, those who don't look for the day of the Lord, they know they're not in right standing with me. But then he said, there's some of you that got your hands lifted in the worship gatherings. You'll see that in a second. Some of y'all that are playing harps and some of y'all that are doing all of these great things don't have a functional relationship as a worshiper daily that reflects the fact that I, you're mine. Y'all too quiet on me today. That's okay. Um, but, 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 but it says the day of the Lord. So, so, so he begins going down, and he says, he says, it is light. It is darkness and not light. In other words, it's not what you think it's going to be. Then he begins to say, he says, that this, this is God. God has a sense of humor. You have to know that. Okay? It, it, this is so funny right here. Now, check out what he says. He says, he says, it, it, he said, it is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him and went into the house and leaned on his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. It, it, this is funny. So he says, he said, the day of the Lord is going to be like this. He said, there are people that think they're going to be able to escape me. He said, so it's like a dude, see a line, he peels out, right? He goes, you know, and, and, and runs away. But then all of a sudden, he runs into a bear. And then it's like, dang, it's getting worse for me. Then he gets into the house, like the horror movie. You know when they get into the house, 
And they think everything all right, but they don't show you what's in the house yet. Because they think they say, ah, they go like, ah, then they go like that, right? He said, God, God is saying, he said, when you get to the house, you lean your hand on the wall because that's a, in this text, that's a sign of comfort that you've escaped something. He said, but when you get com- most comfortable, he said, it's going to be like a snake biting you. And he, he said, in other words, the day of the Lord is inescapable. When, 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 when Christ comes back, people will be trying to hide. The Bible says they'll try to hide behind rocks and all different types of things. Hey, listen, he's building a theological premise and foundation here, so stay with me. And so he said, it's gonna, he said this is what it's going to be like in the lives of the people of God. And then, then he begins to say, he says, it's not the day of the Lord, darkness and not light. He says, and gloom with no brightness. And so basically, he, he, he's emphasizing and overemphasizing to us what it's going to be like when everything pans out in relation to their practical life, not uh, 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 reflecting their, their, their life based on God's biblical principles. Which brings me to my next and last point, and we'll spend most of our time theologically laying out and practically laying out this point. Last point, God demands justice and mercy meet. Let me, let me say that again. God demands that justice and worship, rather, meet. Listen to what he says. He says, I hate, I despise your feast. He says, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. He says, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, he said, I will not accept them. He said, and the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away the noise, take away from me the noise of your songs to the, uh, to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. It's interesting that God says that he hates and despises. This, 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 is, this, is, this is adding emphasis to the fact that for all my English teachers and all that type of thing, it's a, hen, it's a hendiadis, if you will. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's coupled and compounding the level of intensity that he ain't feeling their worship gatherings. In other words, God says, I despise, that's what he said, he said, I despise your feast. Now, what's weird about this is God despising their feast. These are feasts that God has set up. Now, these are feasts, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, the same thing, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, all of these high days like Yom Kippur, Passover, all of these things God has set up. He says, he says, I hate your feast. Now, I like the fact that he called it theirs. He said, because these ain't mine anymore. Because he said, he say the feasts become mine when your heart lines up with your expressive worship. He said, but if your expressive worship is separate from your life, he said, I, I, he said, I despise, he said, they become yours and not mine. In other words, it's a potluck, it's not a celebration. Uh, he, he, said, he, said, he, said, he said, he said, listen, 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 if you're doing all that, he said, it becomes a social gathering, not a spiritual transformational opportunity. In other words, he said, you're doing things that all externally look like they're identified with me, but practically they're disassociated from me because you're doing it without me. 
And, and woe to the church and woe to the ministry that does spiritual things without the spiritual impact of God's presence be upon it. I remember Eli, uh, when, 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 when the Bible says that, 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 that Eli, uh, a young lady, one of his, uh, his daughter-in-laws named the child Ichabod, which means uh, the glory of God has departed. In other words, when the glory of God has departed from someone, something, or someplace, what happens is, is that God is removing its ability to reflect his name in the earth realm. Oh, y'all looking at me funny. In Ezekiel, it talks about the fact that the glory of God goes from the, in between the mercy seat and went out to the threshing floor, and, and, and the angel, the, the cherubim took it back up to heaven because the glory departed from the people of God. Even in the church, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it talks about the fact that the church had lost its first love and that God was going to remove its candlestick. In other words, God says, I am going to take you out of existence because you are no longer maximizing my glory. And so he's talking to his people about his desire for them to see him and walk with him and, 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 and not do things, spiritual things haphazardly to please their own personal preferences versus walking in his robust biblical principles. So he said, even if he said, I, I don't even delight in your solemn assembly. He said, y'all fasting and I ain't giving you nothing. Fasting is giving up a greater need of, an essential need of the flesh for a greater need of the spirit. He said, I wasn't even, he said, I ain't even paying attention to your fast. You're fasting, he says, but you're not fasting for the right reasons. And we're going to talk about what the right reasons and what those things look like in a second in relation to this. And then he talks about, he goes down further and he says, he says, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, they're giving money, they're giving resources, they're doing the signs of the covenant. They're doing sacrifices and giving to God, and God's looking at them like they're funny. He says, I will not say, he says, and the peace offering of your fattened animals. These are, these are the good animals. They're giving of the best of the physical, but not the best of the spiritual. He says, I will not look at them. And this is where it gets funny. He says, he says take away from me the noise of your songs. Now, now you got to understand, now, 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 now Israel could worship Worship, they'll worship us up out of here. Okay, listen, they had every instrument. They had drums. They, they, they listen, they, they, they had harps. They had all kinds of, they had the, they took the rams, joint off the ram, sand that thing down, get all the little dust up out of it, and they, da, 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 all of that. They had, they had the, some of the beastiest songs on the planet. They were so beastly, they didn't even have to rhyme. If you notice, none of the songs rhyme. Read the songs, they don't even rhyme. But the songs were so incredible, theologically and practically, that they didn't have. In other words, they had robust celebratory worship. But God calls it noise. Now, it's interesting. You can have the best band, a band, you can have a band better than the Roots. Lord have mercy. You can have a church, and that's, that's saying something. You can have a band better than Mint Condition. See, some of y'all don't know nothing about that. Let me take you back. You can have a band better than the Gap Band. Some of y'all, now y'all about to raise your hands. Now, that's me, Pastor, right? Hallelujah, that's me, Pastor. But this is my favorite. You can have a band better than Earth, Wind, and Fire, killing it in the gathering. Oh, Lord. I, I ain't going to sing it. I see you, Sister D. I see you over there. I ain't going to sing reasons or nothing. But, 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 but all, of, all, of the, all of that glorious and, and, and exciting uh, worship, 
<coughs> that they had, God said, when your heart isn't in the right place, it comes before my throne as noise. Now, this is not making a joyful noise to the Lord. It's not being used the same, even though it's the same word. This is no, in other words, it becomes confusing because God only hears worship that aligns up with the heart of the worshiper. In other words, the signal gets off. If you're saying something with your mouth that your heart is far away from. Wish I had some help right there. And so, and so, and so he's letting them know. He's saying, I want you uh, to reflect me in every single sector of your life. And that means you have to deal with the greatest levels of your life where you're a hypocrite. He said, I want you to face your hypocrisy. He's telling them. That's why he doesn't take any delight in when they gather. This is what the New Testament, from a, from, a, from a Christological standpoint, calls us to as a worshiping community by those who have been transformed by the renewing power of the gospel. How does the church apply this principle as Christian scripture? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering. This is beautiful. Talking about the difference between their worship and the worship that Christ gives through his death on the cross. In other words, the cross was an act of worship. Are y'all looking at me funny? The cross became the new altar of worship and the resurrection as a reflection of it. Therefore, it became a fragrant aroma. It became potpourri before the nostrils of the king. It became one of them plug-in things, you know, that glad in them had before the nostrils of God. In other words, it was the most, you know, you know you, you, it, it became before God what it's like when you walk up into Macy's. When you walk up in Macy's, the first thing you experience before you get to the other stuff is the fragrances. And they put the fragrances up front so that it can track you into the place. See, see, that's, that's what Christ's worship was. It was attractive to God so he would deal with fallen, broken, trifling people so that the aroma of Christ will not just cover the stench. It ain't nothing worse than somebody that ain't washed putting on cologne. I wish I had some help. But, 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 but when you put on cologne, you got to wash first. Cologne was never meant to cover up a stench. It was, it was meant to be there because there is no stench. That's what Christ did for us. Christ is the aroma that not only it, it, it removes the stench, but replaces the stench. See, because something that gets the stench removed, unless something is, is replaced with something, then it can get stinky again. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, your soul no longer stinks before God. And I'm so glad that the living God did that for us. Because what God wanted from them, he says, I want this from you, which this is what Christ died for. He wants brokenness from them. But what's interesting is the gateway into this reality that's talked about, about justice and worship, really is reflected in the book of Titus. In Titus 3, you don't have to turn there. But it talks about, for the first time, how the Trinity has worked together as a just community in the Godhead to bring justice that we didn't deserve. Okay, y'all looking at me funny. Let me see if I can make it plain. God the Father 
is the eternal philanthropist, it says. Philanthropeo is the word being used there, who sacrifices his only son. He decrees it. Leaves him to the brutality of his creation for the salvation of the elect. Okay, y'all looking at me funny. God the Father could have killed every last one of us. If God was just just, he would have just killed us. It would have been just. That's why when people say God ain't fair, I said, you don't want him to be fair. You're still breathing. He, if, if, listen, if he would have been fair, you'd have been gone a long time ago. Okay? So, so don't tell me, don't, don't talk about God being fair. Why God ain't fair when something bad happened to you, but you're still breathing. But anyway, I, that's not the sermon I'm on today. But, 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 but God, justly, God could justly kill us and been just. But what he did was grace and mercy stayed his hand. And he elected that the son would die unjustly to appease his justice. Are you listening to me? In other words, his wrath was going to come and tear us up from the flow up. And we would have been separated from him forever. But God put his wrath on Jesus because he could not have just forgiven us without a sacrifice because he would have automatically been unholy because he didn't deal with what needed to be dealt with for there to be reconciliation between us. Because in order to deal with reconciliation justly, the barrier has to be removed. So Jesus Christ says, listen, I'll put the wrath, all the, listen, the beef you got with them, put it on me. And, 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 and justly kill me under your wrath with my wrath on you so that when I die, if they repent and believe in me, they're, they're imputed with my righteousness, and therefore, because of that, your wrath comes from them, and therefore, you have justly forgiven them and saving them from their sins. But then the Holy Ghost, he applies the blood of Jesus, the blood of righteousness. And guess what Titus 2 said? He said, because, Titus 3, 2, he says, because this has been done by us, the greatest just act in the universe, it should motivate the church to good works. That's why we come to this last verse within this. And, and he says, in verse 24, he says, But let justice roll down like waters in righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. This, this, this is interesting. It's interesting right here. Because as he begins to talk about this idea of letting justice um, roll down, it lays out what, what do we see justice as. And I want us to practically begin talking about this and working this out as the church because there's been so much confusion in the conservative church because they're calling this a social gospel. There's no such thing as a social gospel. There's no such thing as a social gospel. There's only one gospel with multiple Im implications to it. There's one gospel with a multiplicity of implications to it. That means the gospel transforms our soul, but it also, on some level, transforms our circumstances. Now, it doesn't mean that it transforms all of our circumstances because that is a prosperity gospel. Are you checking with me right now? God doesn't take everything away because we wouldn't want heaven. Because heaven is about him, not just getting out of this world. Okay. So now, I'm just trying to teach for a second if I can. And, 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 so, and so justice is deeper than that. Justice is intrinsic righteousness externally applied. <laughs> justice 
is intrinsic righteousness externally applied. In other words, now that you've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, and you've been justified, now there should be some extrinsic activity that is a reflection of thanksgiving of the fact that God justly dealt with you through Jesus Christ, and therefore you want to justly engage people just as he engaged you, even if they don't get saved. Also means to judge and act rightly according to what God's standards are. That's justice. Justice. One writer says, I love it, the way he puts it. He said, the, the, uh, the quality of being free from favoritism, self-interest, bias, or deception, especially conforming to established standards. And so when he talks about it rolling down like water, it's beautiful. He's saying that it may be an ever-living stream, that the church be a stream and a pipeline of God's activity among lost people. This is beautiful. And so, and so, and so, and so one writer says, justice, check, check this out, justice challenges the inconsistencies, inconsistencies, inequities, and imbalances in the created world. In, in other words, the church is supposed to be a countercultural community that goes against cultural norms in order to proclaim and communicate and get involved in the broken cracks that's in our world. Matter of fact, I, I, I wrote this down. Justice is, prof, is the prophetic arm of the church calling the world to God's vision. I love that. And so, therefore, justice, justice in this sense, is the vindication by God of those who cannot secure anything for themselves. That means it's an act of worship. In Isaiah 58, again, God challenges the people to stop fasting and to do acts of justice. Does justice save us? No. We do justice because we've been saved. And so what, what, what ways are we looking into that? How, how, how is this church by God's grace, been involved in acts of justice. How has Jesus led us out into justice? I'm glad you, as you saw some of it today, when you're dealing with the imbalances and inequities of culture, you have to begin to step in as those who have been resourced with greater opportunity to be responsible for those without opportunity. That's justice. And so now what we did was, because they couldn't build a school for themselves in Malawi, we elected to do that. Why? Because we were in a position to do that, and they weren't, and we're an extension of God's love to utilize his resources, not ours, his resources that passed through our hands that he wanted to utilize to bless them and what God is calling them to do for him in that context. Some of you, what does that have to do with the God? We don't preach the gospel? Okay. We, 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 we gave a school. Uh, we, uh, William Kelly didn't have any dictionaries in the whole school. We took up an offering. We didn't take up an offering for me to get a Bentley, a new suit, or whatever. We ain't do that. We ain't take up an offering for the pastor. We ain't do that. We took up an, an extra offering to give the school dictionaries. It's crazy. We gave out 300-plus dictionaries. God opens up this crazy door with the school, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, we do a basketball league. That school didn't have any sports programs for the kids. The basketball league becomes the sports program for the entire school. All of these kids from the neighborhood come and be a part of this program. Parents coming, unsafe parents, Muslim parents, all of them are coming. Guess what they get to rub up against because we do word and deed. 
the deed gives us the opportunity to have common ground to share the word. It's called comprehensive justice. Now on Friday nights, Pastor Kurt is leading 30 unsaved young men every Friday night through the scriptures because of a dictionary drive. How in the world does a dictionary drive turn into gospel opportunities to share the gospel with lost people? That's what it's about in relation to good works. But even if they don't get saved, the Bible says that we are supposed to be a light on the hill. To show off what? To, to be a light on the hill so that in the day of visitation, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, 11 and 12, it says so that in the day of visitation, even though they're not saved, they will exalt in God because they had a witness before them that whether they got saved or they didn't got saved, the witness of the gospel was faithful. Why? Because Ephesians chapter 3 says the church is supposed to communicate the manifold wisdom of God on earth. You can't just do it in the four walls of the church, having your own uh, ingrown toenail click where you enjoy the music you want and your children get to go to children's ministry and you have air conditioning on and you got padded seats and then we come and we go and we come and we go and there's no change in anybody around us because we're so sick and we're so trifling and we need to get up off our butts and start engaging lost people. They are bigger. Now, we, we want to, listen, we want to, we want to do, we're going to do a crisis pregnancy center, but justice is bigger than abortion and homosexual marriage. You can get mad at me if you want to. We're against homosexual marriage. We're against abortion. All right. But there, but there are more, there are even more streaming. What if we, what if it's, what if we just say we're not going to do nothing with the school system and engage us? We're just going to create a charter school. So we just created a haven to take care of ourselves. There's nothing wrong with doing a charter school. Nothing wrong with doing a school. But when the church builds itself on creating safety for its own, Jesus left the safety of heaven. Listen, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't have came down for none of us. I'm at the right hand of God the Father, chilling for eternity, hanging out, angels bringing me tea and everything. I'm... I ain't bringing me espresso and all that. You know, give me a fattened calf. I need this, that. Pat out just appear before me. Heavenly, heavenly marinades on it and everything. I'd have been chilling with my dad, looking over everything. I can see everything at the same time, sit above everything, ain't got to do nothing, but I'm working. <laughs> but Jesus created a body. Came into, took all of his eternality. And in some unbelievable way, in his second person sonship, stuffs it in a seed of a woman's body to come proclaim the gospel to the poor. And it's crazy that we can't give up earth. He gave up heaven. But we can't even give up a little bit of earth to help somebody see a little bit of heaven. Wish I had some help right there. <laughs> We're not here for our comfort. Comfort don't come until we go into the eternal rest. Listen, you're a pilgrim passing through. Don't you let this world make you think you're supposed to be here. That don't mean you don't enjoy it, but that don't mean you dive into it all the way either. You better sleep with one eye open and one eye closed in this world. But while you do that, you put your hand to the plow. 
I want, you, I want us to, as a church, you to begin praying about individually and corporately. What in my life is in the way of me maximizing my life for God's sacrificial purposes? What in my life am I building as a fortress, a fortress of solitude, if you will, for me to be barricaded in from living my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is just stage one, our reasonable service of what? Worship. Wow. And so I'm praying today that God would blow our minds. Yes, I'd like to see us do, we started our economic development ministry, and we're using it as common ground. We're going to trick people. We're tricking them. I, I'm just telling you right now, social justice is a, I mean, justice is a trick. We just want to do good things to you so we can tell you about Jesus. We want to show you Jesus and then tell you at some point that Jesus saves. And so, so it's a trick. We've got the hook on it. That's why it's called fishing. That's why it's called fit. Y'all think I'm not? That's, what's, that's what Jesus said. We put something on the hook. Hook is going to be outreach. Hook is going to be Camp Hope. Hook is going to be a basketball camp. Hook is going to be a, a housing and development. Hook is going to be, we're going to hook. Hook, you see that? Hope, you bit. Oh, you don't know which. You bit into more than you think. But this hook isn't to kill them. This hook is to give them life. Somebody your way. So I just pray that we would see this as the whole gospel and not another gospel. Father, we thank you and honor you for the death and resurrection of our Lord who claims that we might have life and life more abundantly, that we would live in light of the truth and in all of its, in all of its ways, you placed us in North Philadelphia for a reason. And I thank you for uh, how the church has become more pan-generational and, and, and everything, and, and, and this is good for us, God, and good for our development and growth and engagement of people, and how you, by your grace, made this a multi-ethnic church, Lord God, for your glory. And you know, just like any other church, we got issues, but we know that through Christ, we're in process. And so, and so God, I just pray in Jesus Christ's name that you would recruit our hearts to your cause. Help us to walk in your cause, just as you called us to salvation by your power alone. So also, we ask you to grace us to live lives that's greater than our own. Even those who may be considered poor in here, Lord God, they even have much to give and much to teach us all about your truth and about your life and about what it looks like to not look down on people because they're not in the same economic bracket. Because just because somebody is financially poor doesn't mean that they're spiritually poor. And so God, I just pray in Christ's name that you would challenge us and push us into every crack and crevice of culture so that this city may be transformed and that this world may continue to be transformed for your glory, for your honor and praise. We look forward to it, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. If you're here.